0: I'm in a bit of a crisis right now in my life. Uh, My daughter will be a middle schooler this year when school starts. And so some of you know why I'm just in crisis mode right now. I'm trying to figure out where the years went and the whole deal. And so I have become very sentimental. And I've been looking back at, you know, the Facebook memories pop up of when she was little and all that kind of stuff. And one particular memory that I have is that before she could even speak intelligible words, my wife taught her some sign language, which I thought was just astounding. And she taught her this little symbol, which meant more. If she was sitting in her high chair, she would do this, meaning I want more. And uh, we'd give her more food. Well, she began to associate that symbol with simply food so anytime she was hungry anytime she wanted a snack she would come up and do this more I want food give me the food and um, sometimes that was at an inopportune moment and so I would say no you can't have any food right now no we're not going to eat right now and she would do this more no I know you can't have food right now so she would put her arms up and I would pick her up And she'd lay her head on my shoulder. She'd nuzzle up real close to me and give me a big hug and maybe a kiss on the cheek. And then she'd push up and go, more. (laughs) See, Even before she could speak, my daughter was learning the fine art of manipulating her father. She wanted to get to yes. How do you get to yes with your father? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today from this passage in God's Word. All of us want to hear God say yes when we pray, when we ask Him for something. And this morning, I want to talk about how you get to yes. And here's what I want you to know. Our God is infinitely kind. I believe that His heart is to say yes to His children. But I want you to know this. He is no pushover, and he will not be manipulated. And that's not what this message is about. This message is not about how you somehow manipulate God into uh, pouring some kind of material blessing into your life. Not at all. But there are attitudes of our hearts. There are actions that God expects us to take before he says yes to our prayers. And I want us to explore what it means for us to position our lives, to position our church in such a way that God responds to us with his divine yes when we pray. Now, well, that's what we're going to talk about today from Jeremiah chapter 32. It's been a while, so let me remind you of the context of Jeremiah. The nation of Israel and Judah had become very idolatrous. Uh, they had turned their back on God. They were worshiping idols. And because of that, God allowed the Babylonian army under King Nebuchadnezzar to come, and he's going to let Judah fall. He's going to let Jerusalem the city in which he allowed his temple to be built. He's going to let all of that fall to a pagan nation. The best and brightest are going to be led away into captivity. They're going to stay there 70 years, but God was making promises that he would restore them. Now, Jeremiah 32 is really, really important because the setting is 587 BC. Nebuchadnezzar and his army have shown up. They have laid siege to Jerusalem, which means this... They surround Jerusalem, they cut off the water supply, they cut off the food supply, and in essence, they're starving out the people of Jerusalem until they just starve them into submission and surrender. Jeremiah is in the city, and he's telling the people and the king the truth. This nation is about to fall. We're going to surrender to the Babylonians. This is what God has said is going to happen but they didn't want to hear it. So the king Zedekiah takes Jeremiah, he arrests him and he puts him in uh, in stocks, you know the thing where they put the guy's head through the thing and his arms through the deal. And they put him in stocks inside the court of uh, of Zedekiah. And here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 2. Now at that time the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard, which was in the house of the king of Judah, because Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up saying, why do you prophesy saying, thus says the Lord, behold, I am about to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he will take it. The situation is bleak. It is disastrous. And here's what God says about answered prayer. If you want God to answer your prayers, there are six steps to answered prayer. And the first is this, need me, need me. The people of Israel are surrounded. Their water supply is cut off. Their food supply is cut off. They are in desperation. They need God to come through. The army that is outside is 100 times larger than their own army. There is no way militarily they can defeat them. They need God. They need God to come through. And if you want answers to your prayers, the first thing you need to acknowledge in your life is your great need for God. If there is one failing in American culture with American Christians right now, it's that we think we've got it all worked out. Got a problem? we got a program for that. We have more resources than any church in the history of Christianity. The American church is wealthier than any church in the history of Christianity. We think we've got this thing whipped, and then along comes coronavirus, and we don't have any way to respond to that. We don't have an answer there's racial unrest in our nation. We don't seem to have the answers. When are we going to wake up and realize we desperately need God? That is the first step for him to answer. God will not come through until you acknowledge your great need for him. That requires humility. I was in a pastor's meeting about, oh, 10, 11 years ago, and Um, It was my first meeting with some of these pastors. And so I walked in, I'm laying low at the back of the room, kind of sit down at a table. And uh, there were a couple of guys there at that table that I didn't know. And in through the door walks a pastor and his name won't mean anything to you for a lot of you, but it meant a lot to me the guy's name is Dr. John Bassanio. John Bassanio was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Houston for about 30 years. He's a giant of a man. And he walks in, he's a little late for the meeting, and he looks over and he pulls up a chair right beside me. I mean, I am sitting next to this guy that I have looked up to and admired. And I'm I'm like, so I pray that prayer that most of us pray when we're in the company of somebody like that, that you kind of look up to and admire, oh God, please don't let me say something stupid. You know, that was that was the prayer. And in a few minutes, the facilitator of the whole group, he says, I want you guys around your tables to talk about what is the greatest need in the church today. So I'm playing it smart. God answered my prayer. I didn't say anything. I just, I just didn't talk. And the guys around the table, they were all silent too. And I figured out what was going on. We were all waiting to hear what Dr. Bassanio says. So Dr. Bassanio starts talking and man, he could talk. I mean, he, he's loud and bold. He said, let me tell you men what the problem is in the church today. You're not dreaming big enough dreams. You're not trying big enough, great enough things for God. You try these little projects that you can handle. And what you need is to get in a situation where you're in over your head. What you need is to be in a situation where you need a miracle so that when God comes through, you'll know it was him and not your own efforts. I wrote down a sentence that day, and I've looked back on this sentence a hundred times. He said simply, every miracle begins with a problem too big for us. Every miracle begins with a problem too big for us. God says, if you want me to move in response to your prayers, need me. Second, listen to me. Listen to me. In chapter 32, verse 6, and Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanumel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anatoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Then Hanumel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field, please, that is at Anatoth, which is in the land of Benjamin. For you have the right of possession and, and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. The second thing God would say to us if we want to position our lives for answered prayer is listen to me. Now, here's what's interesting about that passage. What's really interesting about that passage is that one of Jeremiah's cousins comes and says, I want you to buy a field from me. He comes to him and says, I've got a field at Anatoth, which is outside Jerusalem, and I want you to make a real estate transaction. Now, most of the time, and this is just a word to you that's not really part of the sermon, most of the time, real estate is a good investment. So if you're looking to invest, most of the time, over a long period of time, real estate goes up and value. good investment. Not so much in a country that's about to be overtaken by an enemy army. When every deed and every title is going to be obliterated. Not so much if the real estate bubble is about to burst because your country has been invaded. And God says to Jeremiah, I want you to buy that field. He's going to come to you. He's going to say, you are part of the family. Our land's supposed to stay in our family. That's in the Old Testament. And so, Jeremiah, I need you to buy the field. You see, he's telling him to do something that is contradictory to conventional wisdom. It goes against the grain of what people say is smart. But God says, if you want me to answer your prayers, listen to me. Because sometimes God is going to tell us to do things that may not make sense to the world, that may not fit with worldly wisdom. It may not make sense that you take the job that you're taking when other people say you ought to be taking a job that makes more money. It may not make sense that you move your family somewhere when, when other, your family saying, oh, don't move there. But God is saying, I want you to move. When you want God to answer your prayers, you need to listen to him. Here's the reality. We can't see what's going to go on in the future. Two years ago, how many of us would have seen what's going on in our world right now? We didn't see this coming. And anybody that tells you they did is a liar. They didn't see this coming. We we can't see what's coming. But here's what I know. I know that God knows what's coming. And I know that he is infinitely wise. And he is all-knowing. And if you listen to him, you go against the grain, but you go with the movement of his spirit. I've been thinking a lot about my great-grandfather. My great-grandfather was born in 1895, died in 1971. For seven years, our lives overlapped. I sat on his lap as a little boy and in their house, there were only three channels on the TV. You know, there was no cable television, no satellite. There were only three channels. So the only thing on at 5 o'clock in the afternoon was the news. And I'd sit on his lap and watch the news. I can remember sitting on his lap and watching those Apollo astronauts on the moon in 1969. I was five years old. And I'm told that I hold in my hand more computing power than was in those massive mainframes that sent the Apollo astronauts to the moon. My my great-grandfather could have never foreseen that he could hold in his hand and walk around with a telephone that wasn't attached to the wall and call people around the world. He could have never foreseen that he could hold something like this in his hand and with computing power, type in something into a search engine and find out facts without ever opening a book. He could have never foreseen what's happened in our world technologically. And that was just my grandfather, my great-grandfather. We cannot foresee what the future holds, but we have a God who does. So listen to him. Number three, God says, if you want answers to your prayers, if you want a divine yes, obey me. Now, Jeremiah has received these instructions that are counterintuitive. They don't look like they make sense. And here's what the Bible says he did in verse 9. I bought the field, which was at Anatoth, from Hanamel, my uncle's son, and I weighed out the silver for him, 17 shekels of silver, I signed and sealed the deed and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. He says, I did what God told me to do. I obeyed. God says, if you want a divine yes to your prayers, obey me. Do what I tell you to do. Jeremiah's obedience was prompt. In verse 9, he hears those instructions and he promptly obeys. It was public. He says, I called in witness. It was costly. He says, I weighed out the silver. I'm going to tell you this. And this is becoming more and more true as Christianity becomes less and less popular in the culture in which we live. Obedience will cost you. You're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to obey God or not? And obedience will not be easy. Jeremiah says, I obeyed, I weighed out the silver. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. He is in a city that is besieged. There's one thing that happens when food gets scarce and it happens in every society. I don't care what your economy is based on, but inflation skyrockets. He's taking the resources that he needs to buy scarce food and he's buying a field he can't even set foot on. But God told him to do it. And regardless of whether it makes sense or not, he chooses to obey. This is really very simple. God is a father. How many of us as a parent would bless with a yes our children if they are living in disobedience? You don't do that. That doesn't make sense. And God won't either. If you want to get to yes, God says, obey me. I know I've told this story before, but it's one of my favorites. Norman Vincent Peale, who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking, which is not that great a book, bad theology, but it was a bestseller, um, and he was a minister. His dad was also a minister, and he tells a story about when he was a little boy. that You know, all the distinguished men at the turn of the century smoked cigars. One day, he and his buddies were in this alley, and they found a half-smoked cigar. They said, we're going to try that. So his buddy picks it up, and he takes a big draw off of it and gags and turns green. He says, oh, man, that's good. Take take one, Norman. So Norman does it. He takes a big puff of that cigar. And as, as providence would have it in that moment, his father walked around the corner into that alley. Norman put that cigar behind his back real quick. He didn't know exactly what to do. And he thought, I'll distract him. And so he pointed to a poster for the circus. And he said, Dad, do you think when the circus comes to town, we, we could go to the circus? And Norman Vincent Peale's father looked at him and he said, Norman, there is one thing that I have learned. Never to petition my father with smoldering disobedience behind my back. Some of us get on Facebook and we talk about how God hadn't answered my prayers and my church turned his back on me and, and, and all these things, bad things have happened in my life. How can you expect God to bless you with smoldering disobedience behind your back? It will not work. It never works in God's economy. You do not earn God's blessing by obedience, but obedience opens the doorway for God to pour out his best blessings on you. And if you are disobedient in your life, don't expect God to bless a disobedient child. Obey me. Number four, praise me. Even when things are going bad, praise me. Jeremiah hears this odd instruction from God to buy real estate in a market that is crashing. He takes 17 shekels of silver. He weighs it out. He pays the money. The money's gone. He's got a deed for land he may not ever set foot on. Food is scarce all around him. And Jeremiah prays. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 16. After I'd given the deed of purchase to Baruch the son of Nerai, then I prayed to the Lord saying, Oh, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. What Jeremiah begins to do is that even in the midst of this crisis, he is praising God. He is not complaining about his situation. I mean, after all, he's in the stocks in the, in the courtyard of the king. And he begins to praise God, praise God for who God is, to exalt the name and the character of God. When you get caught in a situation that is negative, when you get caught in a situation that seems to be against you, your first response needs to be to praise and worship your creator for who he is. That he is mighty, that he is powerful, that nothing, no situation is too hard for him to solve. And that's what Jeremiah does. In the book of Acts, there's this moment when the apostle Paul and Silas, his traveling companion, are are jailed and arrested. They're, They're thrown in this jail in a place called Philippi. And the Bible says that at midnight, They began to praise God. They began to sing to God. They began to worship God. And as they worshiped God, God sent an earthquake that rattled the foundations of the jailhouse itself. It shook the doors of the prison cells off off of their hinges and they could have walked out freely. I'm going to tell you that it is praise that opens prison doors. It is praising God that opens our lives to receive from him this divine yes that we desire and long for. You need to learn to praise God even in the midst of things going wrong in your life. Number five, trust me. Trust me. This is what God says. If you want me to say yes, trust me. Now, there's a very long section of this passage that I'm not going to take the time to read, but I'm going to summarize it for you. God says, Jeremiah, here's what I'm up to. These people have brought little bales and they've put them in their houses. And they're worshiping these people that I rescued, that I redeemed from their bondage in Egypt, these people that I gave this land to, these people have turned their back on me. That's what he says in the passage. They turned their back on me, they did not face me. They've rejected me. And they've worshiped these false idols, and they even brought them in their house. They didn't just go to a temple and worship. They brought little little toy bales and they put them in their house and worshiped them in the house. He said, because of that, I'm going to burn every house in Jerusalem to the ground. These people built a temple for me to be worshiped and they have put... in. They've put golden statues to false gods in, these, in, in my temple. And so I'm going to let it be destroyed. I'll let it be burned and every stone torn from the top to the bottom until one stone doesn't stand on another. Their king has rejected me. And I will take that palace that David built 400 years ago and I will allow it to be burned to the ground and the walls of Jerusalem will crumble. Jeremiah, that is what I am up to. Now, that doesn't sound good, but then he says this, but Jeremiah, trust me, I'm up to something. Look at verse 36, or listen to these words. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning this city, of which you say it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, by pestilence, behold... I will gather them out of all the lands to which I have driven them in my anger, in my wrath, and in great indignation. And I will bring them back to this place and make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them to do them good, and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster on this people. So I am going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them. And then verse 43, remember what Jeremiah did? He bought a field. Verse 43, fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is desolation without man or beast. It is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign and seal deeds, and call in witnesses in the land of of Benjamin. You see what Jeremiah was doing was fulfilling a prophecy. He was saying, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that someday my descendants will own that land because God is going to restore the fortunes of his people. God says, trust me. Now I want to say this to you. I don't, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what God is doing. I cannot see the future but I really believe that God is up to something. I don't know what's going on with this coronavirus deal, with all this unrest in our country, with all the hatred that we see everywhere. I mean, you turn on one television channel and you see news slanted one way, another channel is slanted the other way. I don't know what the truth is. I don't know those things. But I trust something. God is up to something. God is moving. Maybe what he's trying to do is bring us to our knees so we'll need him and listen to him. But I'm going to tell you what I honestly also believe. I believe that the only hope for America is a revival in the church, that the people of God are brought back to life and out of our lethargy and out of our apathy out of our going through the motions attitude and come alive and a spiritual awakening in our land where thousands, maybe millions of people are turning to Christ. I believe it's the only hope. I really believe that. I don't believe my hope is in a political candidate. I don't believe our hope is in a vaccine. I don't believe our hope is in some sort of of economic recovery, I believe our only hope is a mighty move of God in this country. That's what I believe. And I believe the only way we're going to find it is if we trust him and say, God, we don't understand what you're putting us through. But we believe that you are working all things together for good because we love you and we are the called ones according to your purpose. God says, trust me. Sixth and finally, one final thought. Call to me. Chapter 33, verse 1, which is really an extension of this whole narrative Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still confined in the court of the guard saying, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. I love Jeremiah 33. Call to me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things, unbelievable things, which you can't even comprehend right now. God says, Call to me. The greatest or the number one reason for unanswered prayer is that they're unprayed prayers. The reason God's not saying yes many times is we won't humble ourselves and ask and call. And get on our knees and say, God, we need you. We'll listen to you. We'll obey you. James chapter 4 verse 2 says it. You have not because you, say it out loud. You have not because you ask not. But Jesus turned that around in a positive way. And here's what he said. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given to you seek and you'll find knock and the door will be open God says call to me I want to make this very personal for the next few minutes I don't know what you're walking through I mean personally maybe you've got a problem in your life you're like this is not something that I can solve Every miracle begins with a problem too big for us. Maybe you need to say, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to resolve to pray. And I'm going to do it before I leave this room, or I'm going to do it before I leave this this webcast. I'm going to pray. Maybe this morning as our band sings over us in just a few minutes, you may may need to bring your problem here just as an act of faith to say I'm coming here. Or maybe you want to do this for our church to say, God, we need you. We need you to move by your spirit. Come. Maybe you just want to come here and pray. Maybe you want to do this for our nation, for our world. But rather than just hearing a sermon about prayer, maybe we ought to do something about it. Just a thought. But whatever you need to do, maybe you, maybe you just make your seat on altar right now. It's okay. Maybe where you are watching this right now, you do the same thing. But if we want to get to yes, then we need to be people who are willing to humble ourselves and seek his face and call on him to move. Father, we will give you this moment and every other because they belong to you. But today we humble ourselves before you and we say we are in desperate need of you. Lord, turn our hearts. We surrender our will. We will, we will listen. We will obey. We will respond and we will trust you. Move, Father, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.